In an interview, in an interview with People magazine, psychologist B.K. Skinner was asked, what advice do you have for those who are afraid of dying? He responded, what arouses fear is not death itself. By the way, I'm not sure he's German. I just like to think psychologists who I don't know are German. All right. That's terrible. What arouses fear is not death itself, but the act of talking and thinking about it. And that can be stopped. He went on to say that we brood about death most when we have nothing else to do. The more reason we have to pay attention to life, the less time we have for attention to death. He concluded, it's just probably better not to think about death at all. Now, especially living in a place where people often come to feel young again, right? To feel alive. Okay, man, no one wants to talk about death. Right, the sun is shining, the sea is blue, I'm going diving. Let's not talk about death. And as you've likely heard, people's two biggest fears in life, almost year after year when surveys are taken, are what? Death and public speaking. So you get to witness a supersized fear factor up on stage today as I will be speaking publicly about death. All right, there's nothing worse. I could shrivel up on stage and cry in the fetal position this morning. <laughs> death is our big word this morning. It's our big word for living from the book of Romans. And in this book, it is mentioned 53 times the word death. So obviously, it's important for beliefs, for our understanding, and for the way we live. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 14. Romans 6, 5 through 14, we see death occur 10 times just in this passage. I'm counting crucify, since crucify is a specific form of death. Now, for anyone who has trusted their life to Jesus, there are three deaths that matter. The first is the death of Jesus. Second, the death to sin or self. Thirdly, the death of our bodies, our physical bodies, right? For the Christian, death always results in life. Think about all of these deaths. The death of Christ, through His death, we have an opportunity to approach the Father and live in fellowship with Him. Right? His death and trusting in it has resulted in life for us. Death to sin, to self, to the things that we cling so closely to to idols, to patterns of sin in our life. When we die to these things, it results in further life for us and to others as they watch our lives. Death to our physical bodies, if you trust in Christ, because of Jesus' resurrection from the death, when we die, we will receive these new bodies, new life. For Christians, death always results in life. We're going to focus on the second of these this morning. Death to sin and self. All right? But first, I want to kind of summarize the argument I want to make for you this morning. A sermon in a nutshell. Which is this. When putting sin to death, do not resist. Replace. When putting sin to death, don't resist. Replace. I'll explain what I mean as we go along. But first, read with me. 
for Paul's letter to the church of Rome. Chapter 6, starting in verse 5. For if we have been united with Christ in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we also believe that we will live with Him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead, He will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word this morning through the Apostle Paul. Jesus, you say about your spirit in John 16 that he will guide us into all truth. So we pray for your spirit's work this morning, Lord, through your word. Lord, certainly through my words, that he will guide us into all truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, just a little bit of review here. Last week, we looked at the second half of Romans 6, all right? So the next kind of big chunk of this chapter, and discussed the word sanctification. Through sanctification, God helps you become who you are. If you trusted Christ... You are a son or daughter of the king. But it just takes a while for the family resemblance to show up. We are God's workmanship. But when you first start following God, you look at your life and you think, I don't really work the way the Bible says I'm supposed to. We are growing into who we are. We're becoming who we are. It's called sanctification. And death is God's chief means of helping us become who we are. So it shouldn't surprise us to hear in this passage where we are told that we are dead to sin, and yet you must continue to make sin debtor. All right? I know that's grammatically incorrect. All right? Verses 5 through 11 talk about this, that we are dead to sin. And verses 12 through 14 talk about how we must become dead to sin. You see this? We're going to look at both of these passages this morning, both of these ideas and why they matter. Actually, I'm going to take that back. I'll tell you a secret. There's a chance we might just talk about one of them this morning. And next week we might get to the second, all right? I've got a lot of notes here. It might get kind of long, so I might save it for next week. All right, I'll, I'll save you the pain, the heartache next week. But that means we have two weeks of death, which is a great label, I think, for any sermon series. We might just change the name, right? Two weeks of death, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. All right. 
Oh boy. All right. Sermons of church shrinking proportions. All right. So, first of all, you are dead to sin. This present deadness. Verses 5 through 11. And we're going to see two patterns emerge in these seven verses. All right. The first pattern is this. Look with me if you would in those verses. Our old self, verse 6, our old self was crucified. If you keep going, one who has died. He has been set free from sin. You are dead to sin and alive to God. You see that? You are presently in this state, this new reality that Jesus' sacrifice has achieved for us. That sin no longer has dominion over you. It's troublesome. It comes into our lives, knocks us over, but it is not your master any longer. There's a new chapter in your life. That has happened, as we see in verses 5 through 11. Do you see this? The second pattern's here too as well. That securing this new dominion of God as our master involves quite a battle. Right? And it's not primarily a battle for our wills, although it is that. And it's not primarily a battle for our emotions, although it's that too. But Paul says here is that it's a battle for our minds. Our minds. That's why Paul hammers home this reality in this passage with these phrases. Verse 6, he says, We know that our old self was crucified. Verse 8, we believe that we will also live with him. Verse 9, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. You see this? He's reminding them of these truths. Get this in your head. We might talk about, obviously, loving Christ is a matter of the heart and it's a matter of the will. But we access almost everything through our minds. Our image of him, our experience of him comes through our minds. Paul comes to a conclusion at the end of these seven verses. Verse 11, he says, So you must. Now this is important. So doesn't sound like a big word. Okay, so. Paul's one of these guys who chooses his words very meticulously. When someone says so, what are they doing? They're making a conclusion. They're giving you the key. Alright, I've said all these things. Here's what you've got to do about it. He concludes that in order to grow... We must make full use of our minds to reinforce God's truth that you have died to sin and have been made new in Christ. A new creation in Christ. So he says in verse 11, So you must consider. This word consider is a calculated mathematical mind term. Logizomai. Logic comes from this term. You must consider, 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 consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so, there's this ongoing battle for our minds, friends. That's why Paul is reminding the Roman church. Remember, Consider, know, remember what you believe. Because there's an ongoing battle for your mind. We spoke at length about this at the beginning of our series. When we talked about Satan, our enemy, being the father of lies. 
Jesus says in John chapter 8 that he is the father of lies, that his native language is lying. Just as you and I might speak English or Spanish or whatever, our, our first language, Satan's is lying. That's how he battles us. Lying to our minds. But we have a second enemy. Because of sin, we can also be our own enemy. Don't believe everything that you think. Don't believe everything that you think. I've seen, as sure as you have as well, the face of mental illness. Right? Where people have a hard time even accessing who God is. And it is tragic. See this. But friends, I don't mean to sensationalize this. I really don't. But there's a sense in which we are all mentally ill. Because all of our minds are corrupted with sin. That illness is sin. Our minds are confused. Deuteronomy 28. They are anxious, closed. Job 17. Our minds are evil, restless. Ecclesiastes 2. Our minds are described as darkened, as corrupt. In the New Testament. Jeremiah 17.9 says this, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? What does this mean? It means that above all things, we tend to lie to ourselves. Above all things, we tend to lie to ourselves. We believe what we want to believe and see oftentimes what we want to see. I was recently reading about these studies that have been done about the uh, optic nerve. Anyone a brain surgeon out there today? No? Good. I can tell this in all freedom then. I won't mess anything up. I've read about these dozens of studies that showed that when you focus on an object, you have these impulses, right? And when you focus on an object, there are actually more impulses coming from your brain forward than there are going from your eyes backward. Does that make sense? There are more impulses going from your, your brain forward looking at an object than there are going from your eyes backward. In other words, when you look at something, your brain is often telling you what to see. Right? It's interpreting it, twisting it in a way. When temptation pushes on us, when sin's influence starts to press in to us, our brain often tells us certain things, right? Things like, you know, I like that. I like that, right? Me likey. God will forgive me later, right? God will forgive me later. Come on, God. Get to the side. I want this. Right? Our brain will tell us this. Our brain will often tell us, you know, I might as well do it. I'm, I'm never going to change anyway. I'm never going to change. I might as well. Or one of my favorites, you deserve it. Right? Enjoy yourself. God doesn't mind anything as long as it's done in moderation. This is kind of the old school mentality of church going. Right? Like as long as you do things in moderation, God's okay with it. God's spirit in moderation. This in moderation. Our mind is telling us things. 
and aren't true. And you cannot overcome these thoughts by resisting them or just through self-denial. So that's why I encourage us, friends, don't resist, replace. Do not resist, replace. You know this is the case, right? If you start thinking about something in your life, like, oh, I have some bad thoughts, man. I, I, I know it's bad here. Your pastor said I have some bad thoughts. And I'll catch myself. Do I just tell myself, don't think about that? No, you don't ever tell yourself that. You say, no, nothing's going to happen to your kids. Right? God's taking care of them. It's okay. Don't think about these awful things. Right? Or, you know, stop it, man. That's not who you are. Like in Christ, you know you should be thinking about this. What am I doing? I'm replacing these lies with truths. Or at least I'm trying to. You can't just resist thinking about things. You've got to replace what you think about. There is an expulsive power in a new truth. There's an expulsive power in putting a new truth into your mind. That's why Paul is encouraging us here with all these reminders for the Romans. He's saying, look, replace any and all BS with truth. I don't know what BS stands for. I just saw that on the internet, so you can't blame me for that. Specifically, I'm going to encourage you to think about the following this morning. Think about the following. One, replace in your mind lies with blessings you've received since trusting Jesus. Blessings you've received since trusting Jesus. Situations before where you would have given in, but you struggled by faith and made the right decision. What a blessing, right? He's done it before. The humble confidence you've received since trusting Christ, right? Before I was an arrogant so-and-so, but God showed me how much I needed Him. Or before... I was always moping around, right, like a Christian Eeyore. Yeah. But now through Christ, I know I have life. And I have this power within me, a humble confidence, a blessing. Replacing your thoughts. Replacing these lies with blessings we've received since trusting Christ. Things like the peace to endure hardship, the, the faith to share with others, the hope that we have. The grace, the forgiveness available to you minute by minute to start anew in Christ. All of these blessings. Think on these things. Second thing you think on is Scripture itself. Oh, here's our, one of the hardest applications. I think I've mentioned this now three times in the history of my time here at church. Memorize Scripture. Alright, I'm, I'm confident for each time I mention this, one person will do it for a month. That's my hope. <laughs> it's a pretty low bar. Maybe I should set it higher. Memorize Scripture. If you want to expulse those lies in your mind, you've got to put in God's truth in there. And there's lots of great stuff actually about dying to sin, to self. Right? Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Truth. I no longer live. It's Christ who lives within me. What about what Jesus says in Matthew 16? 
that if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses life for me in the gospel will find it. Bring these things to mind. Another way you can replace lies with truth is to read theology. Read theology and get to know God through it. I've got two copies in the back of a classic, classic book called uh, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Love this guy. I don't know, he's like 130 years old. I don't think that's probably exaggeration. I, he's been around for a long time. But they should be gone by noon today, those books. There's only two copies. I'm hoping they're gone. They should be. I'll never say that you must read this amount or you must read on this topic or this book. Because we are saved through grace. We're saved by grace through faith. Trust alone in Jesus. It's not faith plus reading certain things or faith plus doing certain things uh, to earn favor with God. But, but, God who gave up His only Son, who volunteered to take on the punishment we deserved, this is your God. Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we want to take the time, not just the time, the mental energy to get to know Him? To get to know the truth of who He is and who we are becoming in Him. Why wouldn't we do that? I say that by grace. Why wouldn't we? Augustine of Hippo, I'm going to end with this this morning. Got the newcomer's lunch afterwards. Augustine of Hippo, that's a real place, by the way, uh, Hippo. It was in the northern part of Africa. Uh, it was not named after hippos, by the way. And there weren't a lot of hippos there. Augustine of Hippo, uh, also known as uh, St. Augustine, was one of the most important church fathers. All right, this guy was very important to urinize faith, believe it or not. He, he talked a lot about this idea of original sin and that we had this stain of sin in us that can't be wiped out by doing good deeds. Anyway, he lived in the late 4th, early 5th century. As a young man, he lived a hedonistic, profligate lifestyle. You know what I'm saying? When I say hedonistic, profligate, these are big words, but I think you know what I mean. This guy slept around, right, and he had a lot of mistresses. This was kind of his deal. He followed a different philosophy and religion, too, called Manichaeism. I won't get into that this morning. His mom... His mom, like my mom's here this morning. In fact, it's kind of a similar story in my testimony. My mom who prayed for me tirelessly for years that I would turn from my wicked ways and, and love Jesus. His mom who loved Jesus kept praying for him. And he did trust his life to Christ. Thank God for moms, right? Man. Anyway, you can read his story from his own perspective in his book, Confessions. Great classic Christian book. Sit down, read it. Some of the wordings are lots of thus, thithers, hithers, mithers, but it's good stuff. Anyway, he went on to churn out over a hundred books that we still have with us today. He actually wrote a lot more, but a hundred books that are still in existence since like the fourth, you know, fifth century, including City of God and On Christian Doctrine. He studied God and His truth. Why does that matter? 
we talk about a guy like this, and when I think about him, I think about, well, you know, to teach others about good doctrine, or to maybe, maybe to love God with his mind. Yeah, but there's another reason. A very practical reason. Studying, meditating on, considering God's truth has a very practical purpose. One day, Augustine was walking along, and he heard calling to him a familiar voice. It was his former and main mistress of 13 years, the beautiful Claudia. All right, she called out, Augustine. Probably was much better than that. Augustine, woohoo, Augustine. Right, something like that. <laughs> now, can you imagine this scene? I know that many of you men here have imagined it. All right, a former flame chases you down on the street, calling your name. Right? Of course, he's wearing whatever it is that gets Augustine's blood boiling. Right? That's the way it always is with temptation. Right? Because the devil never plays fair. It's always the worst possible circumstances. All right? Whether it's a sundress, like a miniskirt, a halter top, whatever, it's him. Even if he doesn't commit adultery or something like that, the temptation sometimes that it's always nice to feel wanted. Right? I still got it. I still got it. Maybe I'll just talk with her for a little bit. Chat it up. Right? (laughs) We know this. We know this temptation. Augustine certainly was tempted. What does he do? He continues to walk. He ignores her siren song. So what does she do? She runs after him. This is a a very modest kind of culture. She runs after him. So the force of temptation now becomes ferocious. She says, Augustine, what is the matter? It is I. To which he responds with his only words to her. The matter, dear lady, is that it is not I. As Augustine faced his version of sin's ancient stronghold on his life, he replaced that lie with the truth. He is a new man in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, you call us to put idols, to put sin, to put our old self to death in order that you might raise up in us new life, that people might look at our lives and say, oh wow, that is something different there. I see Jesus in that person. I see his life revealed in their mortal bodies, as your word says. When we die to self, great things happen. We'll talk about that more next week. But the truth is, we are already dead to our old self. Sin no longer has dominion over us. But there is a battle going on in our minds to recall that truth. To recall that truth that that chapter of our life is gone. A new chapter has begun. We are a new creation in Christ. Spirit, help us fight that battle in our mind like Augustine did. Who was ready when temptation came. When probably the strongest temptation that was possible for him, came along, 
walked along, literally chased him down in his life. He was ready. Because he had been fighting the battle of replacing, in his mind, lies with truth. Lord, help us to do that. Help us remember the blessings that we have in Christ. Help us learn and memorize and write on note cards and stick on our steering wheels and our mirrors your word that it might come to mind at the moment where sin rears its ugly head. Lord, help us take the time, 30 minutes, while we're in bed, to read about you, theology, the study of God, that we might know you, that the truth of who you are might permeate our minds and filter down to our hearts and be part of all of who we are. We don't want our old selves, Lord. We want the new self. We want the power of Christ in us, as the song says. The power of Christ in me. Help us not to resist, but to replace. In Jesus' name, amen.